All right, Justin, sing me a song about crime, preferably from the 80s. And I say that just because the one example I have is not from the 80s. So it doesn't have to be. It's just preferable if it's from the 80s. Hmm. How about, man, <laughs> wow, crime in the 80s. Uh, this actually, you know what? This kind of fits. And it's from 19. It's a 1980 song. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? And I didn't mind as he said. Police don't get in no way. Hey, hey, what you want? What you want? What you want to do? There you go. Is that an 80s song? That was a good choice. I'm not sure. It, it might be. Or early 90s, probably, nope, at you, least, you if not 80s. right. 1987. I hmm. believe the version we know from Cops, though, is the reissue from 1993. But technically, the song did come out in 1987. Nice. So, Justin unfortunately gets a point and i'm glad you said the 80s out of it that was the only one i could think of <laughs> no i mean and plus i'd like i said preferably so even if it was 1993 you would have gotten it but uh you you got the you got both you fit both criteria you don't get bonus points but you you get a point and it's a solid uh, point it's a solid full one point and since you met both criteria I can't even try to say you don't get the point. Okay, that's fair. And I will say this. I also appreciate that just like every other person in the world, uh, you don't know the theme, like the, the the lyrics from any other part other than the hook. And that's yep. fair. No <laughs> exactly. one else does. The people that sing it don't know it. No one does. And I think that that's kind of my favorite running gag from the Bad Boys movies is that they don't even know yeah. the words of the song that is like their theme song. Yep. <laughs> so that works, Justin. I'll give you credit on that. Uh, Heather, what about you? It's supposed to be a song about crime, right? Yes, preferably from the 80s. <laughs> I know the song and I, I know like literally one line of it is all I remember. But um, it's um, Janie's got a gun. That's all I remember. That Aerosmith song. So you know literally the name of the song. And that's the lyric. That's all I remember. But it is an 80s song, obviously about crime. I mean, is it about crime, though? I mean... Yeah, doesn't she kill her dad with her gun? Yeah, but you can argue self-defense, which means it's not really about crime as it is about revenge. But what was the crime maybe done to her to cause that? See, that's what Aerosmith was asking. Because he, yeah. it asks, what did yeah. her daddy do? Yeah. See, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is that speculation? That's conjecture. That's circumstantial as hell. I don't know if that would hold up in a court of law. Hmm. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm just, just saying. saying. No, I don't I'm know. just saying. And I don't think it's from the '80s, so I can fight this one. Nope, it's '89. Ah, oh, son of a bitch. Okay, fine. You get a point too. Fuck off. <laughs> Boom. I checked before I said it. I was like, is this an 80s song? Fuck off all of you. Fine. fine. Oh, the roll. The roll. Oh, don't start talking about rolls, Justin. I'll fucking make sure you <laughs> continue on a bad roll if you want to start that shit. Oh, oh shit. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. So the correct answer, even though it's not from the 80s, 
was either the Bob Marley or Eric Clapton or Eric Clapton versions of I Shot the Sheriff. Oh, yeah. Oh, I Shot the Sheriff. Yeah. That came out in 1974. At least the Eric Clapton version did. So that's why it's just preferably the 80s, because the song that came in my head wasn't an 80s song. So, but that was the most correct answer, even though it only fit one of the criteria. Mm. But you both so got that's points, the most correct. so I don't want to hear shit. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, don't start trying to nitpick now, Heather. You got a point. I will not fight it. I will, I will not make fight sure it. you never get a point again if you want to keep that shit up. I completely believe that, so I will not like, fight it. Next time, I'll be like, Heather, sing a song about crime that starts with the letter X. Yeah, no, I said I wasn't going to fight it. By a band whose name starts with a W. <laughs> it could get so much uh, worse. I know. That's why I'm going to just take the win. Uh-huh. All right. On that note, I'm cueing the theme song. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And today we've kind of got another, like, I don't know, megatainment episode, just kind of like our last one, which we're going to talk about the Netflix documentary, The Night Stalker, or The Night Stalky, or The Night Celery Eater. I don't remember what the fuck that documentary is called. I think it's just The Night Stalker, right? The Hunt for the Serial yes. Killer. <laughs> Wait, what? That's the name of the title? Yeah. yeah. The Night, Night Stalker, Stalker Hunt for a Serial Killer. Yeah. Oh, that's after a colon. The Night Stalker colon. The Hunt for a Serial Killer. Eh, whatever. Yes. I got most of it or some of it or something. We all know what we're talking about now. It's fine. Um, So we will talk about what we liked and like and everything in between with that. And then we'll also talk about... um. We'll expand upon the episode after that. We'll talk about like movie serial killers and uh, some of your fan suggestions when it comes to some of those uh, serial killers. And we'll also talk about kind of like our cultural or culture's obsession with true crime and all the associated things with that. Um, so, yeah, sit back and uh, enjoy the ride. It might be a long one. I don't know. We never know going into these things. So with this. Since it is a documentary about a true crime that all was done 30 years ago, or, you know, I'm talking about the trial. Everything was done with this like 30 years ago. So there's nothing really to spoil with this. So what we're going to do with this is we will start with our recommendations and scores, and then we will just talk about the movie, like our thoughts about the movie, and just keep it all together like that. Since there's really no need for a spoiler section, you know, we'll just kind of go. Um, so with that, Justin, since it was your suggestion, what's your recommendation and score for this uh, Night Stalker, How to Catch a Serial Killer Part Do or whatever the fuck? <laughs> the hunt for Serial Killer. Uh, yeah. So, um, man, I guess the first thing I'll just say is without trying to say too much is, uh, yeah, I recommend it. I think that the reason why I selected this was because I noticed that this had been on the next 
the Netflix top 10 for quite a few weeks and it held the number one spot for quite some time. I think it's about like number five or six now. So still in that top 10 and it was something people were talking about. It just got, it kind of inspired this uh, episode idea. But after watching this, um, yeah, I think that this was, I thought that this was okay. Um, as the title implies, this is more about the hunt for the serial killer. And that is really what you get with this. So if you find it more interesting to find out about the investigation, different things like that, then yeah, I think that this is something that you'll kind of dig and you will like. And uh, that's as much as I'll say without us going into the next section. I'll talk about more about why I think that. But yeah, I recommend this overall for a score. Um, I think it was good, not great. I think it was missing some things to keep it from the great category. So where I landed was, yeah, probably about a 70. We'll go 70 Night Stalker groupies <laughs> sending him letters and um, groupie photos and poems with devil paraphernalia on them out of 100. I don't know if that was your longest score, but it felt like it. It was close. I was trying. I was really trying. <laughs> you were just you were you were you were searching. You could tell you could hear the cogs just click clacking. I was like, how can I brain. make this longer? <laughs> uh, Heather, what about you? Yeah, this was um, kind of the same for me. I feel like it sort of missed the mark on being super captivating. It had some interesting stuff in it for sure. And just kind of I mean, and I know I, I've. You know, I, I've heard over the years and learned a lot about the um, the Night Stalker and things like that. But, you know, hearing specific stories from the people who were involved with the case or who might have been victims, it is interesting. It's always interesting to hear that perspective. But again, I feel like sort of maybe the way they were telling the story, um, it was a little bit, it felt a little all over the place, kind of. It felt like they sort of lost track of what they should have been focusing on a little bit on some of the um, episodes and parts of the, of the series. But, um, but it was still okay. I mean, it, I, I always do find, you know, learning about serial killers and just those kind of crimes and things like that. It's always interesting and just sort of fascinating to learn about them just because from a psychology standpoint, which like I'm really into the psychology of things and understanding what makes people tick and what makes them work. So from that aspect, of course, there was that little bit of interesting element to it. But I don't think by any means was it something that um, to, to me, honestly, I wouldn't say it's a very memorable documentary. Like if you if you think over other documentaries about these types of stories or you know, just different, even movies or anything shows that kind of discuss some of these cases and things like this. This, this doesn't really stand out. I don't think as something that's very, um, you know, it's not like the top notch, like end all be all of, if you want to know everything there is to know about this case and this guy, this is the one, you know? Um, but I did, you know, I appreciated the, you know, that they were trying to get real life, examples of people who were involved and directly related to the story. But it was just a little bit, um, I think, slow paced. Like, I, I just, I guess the way that they went about unfolding the story or telling the story 
moved really slow for me. So it didn't actually keep my interest as much as I had hoped it would. So, um, but that being said, it did still have um, some interesting things to it. It was just more okay. It wasn't like this is a really good one. Um, it's not something that I would say if you want to learn about this case and you want to really get something that's super intriguing the whole way through, I wouldn't recommend this one necessarily, but I would give it, um, I'll give it like a 63 random shots of cats jumping over and onto things out of a hundred. If you were to walk up to me on the street and went, Hey Sterling, would you recommend Netflix's the Night Stalker, How to Catch or Be a Serial Killer, I would say, nah, I'm good. <laughs> and then you'd look at me slightly confused and you'd be like, Sterling, that sentence doesn't make any sense. I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. And then I would just look at you <laughs> and you would continue to stare at me. And you'd blink your eyes a few times. And then I'd just look at you and say, anything else? And then you'd perplexingly look at me and go, I guess not. And walk away. And that's kind of just <laughs> my feelings as a whole with this documentary. Does it documentary things? Sure. Does it documentary anything that I care about or find interesting about true crime or bring anything really new to the table as far as anything I might care about with the Richard Ramirez case? No, not at all. I just was bored out of my fucking mind. All four episodes. All four episodes. I was like, man, this has got to be the last episode. And then I remember, fuck, it was the first. <laughs> and then I thought that. And then by the time the fourth episode came around, I was struggling to just maintain existence. I did. I maintained it the whole way through and just kind of felt like my life was a little worse now. So, no, I don't recommend it. There's better true crime stuff out there. There's better crime documentaries out there. I mean, Netflix has like 90 billion of them. Just go watch pretty much any of the other ones. This this is just not worth it in any way, shape, or form. All the way right from the beginning. I had problems with this pretty much from the first person in the documentary. And so on and so forth. And I'll get into that. But no, I don't recommend it. And uh, score, I guess I'll give it six. I will <laughs> give it six out of some shit tying into 666 because... Richard Ramirez kind of played into devil worship things out of a hundred. My score might not have been as long as yours, Justin, but I'll be damned if it wasn't more confusing. <laughs> yeah. You, you won in that category. <laughs> I thought that was a clever joke. Apparently no one else on this podcast did. So I guess we're moving on. So this what would be. Oh, our no, I, I was section. laughing on mute. Yeah. Well, you know what? Oh, that does I... nothing for my ego. So. Well, it was happening, I guess I didn't hit the, that helps. I guess I didn't hit the mute button. My bad. I, I, I said, yes, uh, so you won in that category. I would typically say spoilers, but I'm more or less asking you guys ready uh -huh. to actually talk about this? Question mark? <laughs> yes. I was yeah. mainly just seeing if you were still alive, Justin. Sorry. Um, I had hit, I don't know, somehow, I guess I hit the mute on my phone somehow. And because I was flipping through to I could get to the cast members and stuff. And like, I guess I hit it somehow and didn't realize it. So I'm all talking and I laughed at your joke. I was like, hi, yeah, you did win in the confusing category. And you just kept talking. I went, why can't he hear me? And I'm all messing with buttons. And then I realized it was the phone. So my bad, man. 
I like how you said I was looking up the cast because it's just real people. But I just like the idea <laughs> that that's how it's phrased. And that's just 100% correct. I mean, technically, they are still the cast of this movie. I just think it's funny because it's a documentary. And you're like, I'm looking yeah. up the cast. Um, yeah. Well, so, even when you go to like tomatoes yeah. and you look up like the thing that they're all under cast and crew. So oh, yeah. that's just, well, that's the what first I'm saying is, yeah, it's, it's a very, it's still an accurate term because it is a movie, you know, it's just funny thinking about it as a documentary. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess what I want to start off with that really set the tone for me not liking this documentary really is that old woman at the beginning that's like, I was shopping in Goodwill and I came across this black ACDC hat and this guy walked up to me and he was all ugly and had bad teeth and smelled bad and had the devil on his hand and he picked it up and smiled at me and then I'm driving home and then I see him on the highway and he's just chasing me and staring at me and then it's all Richard Ramirez had an ACDC hat and you're like whatever fuck off like I'm not saying that old woman is lying I'm just saying I don't believe that any of that actually happened whatsoever. And if so, <laughs> what is she doing? Just running? Like, how did the people doing this documentary find her? Is she just running around telling that story to everybody because it's the only meaningful thing that ever happened in her life? Like, how do you find this woman that was happened to be at Goodwill when Richard Ramirez bought an ACDC hat? Also... When she's like, oh, he had the devil on his hand. Did he? Like, was he just like hand drawing the devil on his hand on like Tuesdays? He's like, oh, it's Tuesday. Better put the devil on my hand. I just don't buy it. I didn't buy it when I watched it. I don't buy it now. And that's why, like, that's what, like I said, set the tone for me just being, I don't buy it. And just dis like, to me, it's almost like it set itself up to disconnect from me from that point. And I get it. There are probably people out there that are like, man, nah, that's hella intriguing. Sure. I don't buy it. So it just started in the hole with me. And I guess it was able to climb up to a six. But ugh, I just I couldn't I couldn't deal with that. And that's what I wanted to start with. And then now you guys can talk about some more stuff and I'll chime in here and there. I just I don't have the since it's not like a, a regular movie. I don't have the ability to rant about this one, but I'll, I'll still chime in with some stuff. Uh, Heather, what are your uh, some more of your thoughts expounded upon with this uh, Night Stalker uh, to, you know, kill a mockingbird? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that I don't know, like the I think my the most interesting part to me was actually the um, the girl who was actually taken by him when she was six years old. That girl, I think her name is Anastasia, or that woman now. Um, yeah, I, Anastasia. Yeah. So I, um, I actually enjoyed her portion of it just because I feel like she was just telling the facts of what it was and how she felt, and she seemed very, like, for real, very genuine, and um, just trying to tell the story for what it was. I think that there were some people in this that were trying to make their part in it seem more important than it was. <laughs> and that for one being the, the woman reporter yep. and I'm not remembering her name. Yeah. She really bothered me in this because 
she just seemed kind of dramatic in how she would say things. Like she wanted to say something and expect you to have this really like surreal reaction to what she was saying. And then I just remember at the end of it, you know, she's saying something about how she's like, you know, I, I sit up at night and I, something about like looking at her cat or something and being like, and I'm just, I imagine how all these women felt and, and that could have been me and this could have been my situation and this could have been the, whatever she was saying about like trying to put herself in the situation and seeming like it was something like she was more affected by it than she actually was, if that makes sense. Well, you know, like if I'm yeah. remembering correctly, oh, she yeah. talks about when she like wakes up at night and she sees her cat staring at her and she's like, this is what it's like to be stopped. Yeah. And I yeah. get it. I get what these people went through because my cat stalks me at night when I'm asleep. Like, please, right. please. <laughs> I've got four cats. They all stare at me like they want to murder me at times because that's the way cats look at things. Get over it. It's not the same. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was just very. It just felt very forced and very um, disingenuine. Um, I don't know. I just feel like she was trying to just make herself more inserted into the actual story of what was happening than she was. And that kind of bothered me. <laughs> but um, but yeah, Anastasia, when she was talking about it, like that was super interesting to me because, you know, she firsthand knew it. I mean, and obviously, you know, she's younger. And so her maybe her memory of some stuff might be a little bit more limited all these years later. But I just kind of really I liked hearing from her as kind of a um, a victim of being taken by him and all of that. Like it was just really interesting to hear her her side of that. So I enjoyed that part. I did not enjoy the lady reporter who was just like trying to steal the show in some sort of way. She was just very annoying to me because she just didn't seem genuine. She just you feel like she was doing it just for the story of being like, yeah, I was totally a part of this. And let me tell you how. And like just making herself a bigger part of the story than it was. Um, the uh, detective, the main detective that kind of started out with the whole, um, you know, kind of his perspective is the one you you feel like it's kind of supposed to lean towards. I don't remember his name. Jason, what was his name? Gilbert. The, Which one? Gilbert, Gilbert or Frank Salerno? That there were two. I think okay, it, Gilbert. Yeah. Yeah, Gilbert. Um, I think it was Gilbert. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I enjoyed like hearing his perspective on things, but also he, um, he, he sidetracked a lot. Like he, he started going into these like random details about stuff like when he was a kid and things like that, that it's like, if it was a documentary about him, sure, that would be, <laughs> would be fine. But I feel like he kind of sidetracked into some things that didn't really, that weren't pertinent to what the story was supposed to be of what was being told. Um, so it was just kind of weird. Like, you know, he's just trying to, you know, say what was directly happening and just kind of things leading up to how he got into being a part of this. But it just was a lot of sidetracking and par story parts that were like, you know, it's it's cool that, you know, this is who you are and everything. But I just feel like it, it detoured more than it should have um, away from the case itself. So, yeah. But I mean, and that's just me. And maybe it's just because I didn't fully know what to expect going into this because I 
I was just like, oh, okay, I know this case and it might be interesting to just hear what's going on with it. Um, I like the point you made, Jason, though, where you said, you know, this is the hunt for him. You know what I mean? So it was just kind of like, you know, it's not just saying like telling you this is what he did. It's not like from his perspective. It wasn't from Richard Ramirez's perspective. Um, it was from the perspective of the people who were looking for him or who were victimized by him, things like that. And, and that is a good point and a very good distinction that you need to make, you know, so it just kind of, um, drives how the story is told. But at the same time, yeah, like Sterling, I understand what you mean about some of these people that you feel like some people just come out of the woodwork and just want to pretend like, you know, they, they were just like really affected by something that they probably, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I just, it's so easy to feel like some of these people might have just been embellishing their their roles or what happened or sometimes making it up. I just feel like sometimes when it comes to true crime stuff, people can be very fake about it. I'm not saying a lot of these people were, but I just think that it's so you just have to be careful with who who you end up like interviewing and allowing to be part of these documentaries. For the most part, I think that the people they did this on were good. But yeah, like the random like lady at the store and stuff like that, where you're just like, um, you know, it's just interesting to to kind of hear like these people that you feel come out of the woodwork with it. But um, but that being said, there were parts of it that you just feel like, you know, it, it is interesting to see, too, the toll that those things take on family members of people who were were killed by him um, or victims of him in some way. And like the story about the there was the young lady who was talking about her grandmother and all of this stuff where it, it's just, you know, it, it, that part was interesting and a little bit more emotional because you're relating to somebody who. Um, you just feel is more like you. You're you're relating to a relatable person in those situations, and you're hearing from a relatable person's perspective, um, the everyday person, not just the detective. So I liked those um those people who were a part of the story because that's more on my level of like I would relate to you more in this situation. So I want to know how you dealt with it and and what you felt and things like that. But um, I don't know. I just feel like the pacing of it was really my problem. It was so slow. <laughs> and like, I don't know why. And, and, you know, it, and maybe it's because I am used to if, if I'm watching something about serial killers or something, it's, it's the more um, dramatized versions of it from movies or shows. So maybe that's why it was a different pace than I expected. But it just, I have seen other documentaries where, it's a little bit more intriguing from the beginning. And especially with documentaries, for me at least, I feel like you need to grab me pretty much right away if you want me to be, you know, into this throughout the whole thing. So those were kind of my big things that stuck out to me. Um, I did find it interesting, though, that like <laughs> when they talked about how this guy had so many fangirls that were just like writing to him and like wanted to sleep with him and all of this stuff. It was just, that was so interesting to me. And I think it's just from a psychological perspective, you know, there is that what I think somebody called it like the, um, 
the bad boy appeal or whatever she called uh, it where you're, mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Bad boy, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just interesting because, I mean, that's definitely a thing, but I'm just like to the extreme of where it's a serial killer. Like, it's just fascinating to hear that people are really, that's something that people are attracted to. You know what I mean? So it's it's almost like you feel like these serial killers, I mean, and obviously some of them are, they're almost like cult leaders. You know, they have to have some kind of charm and charisma about them to draw you in to where, you know, you would be at that point. But it's just it's just fascinating to hear it because I it's not something I would personally understand. But I mean, clearly, there are so many people who were into that or fell for that or liked it. And it's just kind of, it's kind of crazy to hear that, but also just fascinating because you're just, you think there's no way that somebody would be, you know, wanting to sleep with a guy who has straight up killed a bunch of people, but there are people that do. So it was just interesting to hear that too. But yeah. No, I get that. I will say this, and you made me think of this too, with my issue when I was talking about the old lady at the beginning, like whether or not you can believe her. I kind of had the same thing about uh, Justin's Facebook post about this movie asking about it because there was like somebody in there who's like my grandmother knew his grandmother in El Paso and I'm like did she did she really or <laughs> there was this other guy that was like my uncle's friend used to do meth with him in a cemetery and talked about how he was all weird and stuff and I'm like well that's a little weird because this guy also admitted to doing like meth in a cemetery But then also, (laughs) that's one of those weird things where it's like my uncle's friend. Did he really know him? No. What ends up happening a lot of times when a scenario like this where somebody is famous or notorious or something like that from an area, people end up making up stories about him because there is the possibility that paths would have crossed. I mean, we talked about this in the movie theater episode where uh, a guy that me and Justin used to work with at the movie theater used to claim that his dad was one of the sheriff's officers that took down the real inspiration for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in Texas, like when it happened, you know, and stuff like that. And which is really funny because that just doesn't exist. And but it's the whole thing of just wanting to create these ties to these infamous people or ideas. And that's all I can think about. And I'm not saying these people are liars, but I kind of am. I'm not necessarily saying, especially the one that's like my uncle's friend. I'm saying your uncle's friend's a liar, not you per se. I 100% believe that, you know, this guy might have told you that. Although I do find it's weird that like you have that kind of relationship with your uncle's friends. I mean, maybe that's because I don't have a relationship like that with any of my uncle's friends. But still, I'm just saying that that guy is probably the liar. That's all I'm saying. That's all I wanted to say about that. Because Heather made me think of that. All right, Justin, what are your thoughts? Cool, cool. Um, And yeah, to those, to some of those things that you were saying, yeah, definitely. I don't want to speculate who's lying and not lying or anything without any evidence. So I don't want to do that. But I, but definitely just hearing some of those stories and the guy being from El Paso and just, it kind of just plays into either way what, how crazy this was at the time. And this documentary, I guess I just saw it a completely different way. You know, it's called The Hunt for a Serial Killer. And I think 
if you go in this, this with the expectation that you are going to learn more about Richard Ramirez or that there are going to be some, it's going to be a comprehensive psychological look at this serial killer and why he did this and what he was about and different things like that. If that's your expectation going in, I'm telling you right now, you're going to be disappointed because that really is not really what this is. I mean, to be quite honest, I think that's just as honest as I could be about it. This really is a story told from the perspective of the investigation itself. So immediately you're introduced to the two main detectives that were on the hunt for this serial killer, you know, Gilbert Carrillo and Frank Salerno. And that's really what this is. And, and and like, I went back and kind of looked at just some director interviews and stuff like that. And that was actually something that the director said he wanted to do in this. He said, I didn't want to do what other documentaries sometimes do. And that's kind of glorify the serial killer. I wanted to shine a light on the victims and the people that actually caught him. So that was kind of the aim going in. Now, should it have been all that way is definitely another story and definitely something I think we should talk about. Should that have been the approach? Maybe it wasn't the right approach for this, but that was by design. So as you're watching this, that's what it does. It it, it introduces you to the two main officers that were on the case. And we get to learn a little bit about them, just like a movie. And that's why I think when I was watching this, it's very cinematic in the way that it tells the story, because you're introduced to these two officers. They talk about their upbringings and their lives and where they and what inspired them to be cops and stuff like that. And yeah, I could see maybe somebody looking at this and going, wait, wait a minute. Where's the stuff about Richard Ramirez? Why am I learning about Detective Gill? But uh, I went the other way with it. I found it interesting. I liked that I got to know about the cops. I liked that I got to know where this guy came from and how he, you know, how he kind of came from nothing and worked his way up and was in the force. To me, it brought levity to those people because in a lot of other crime documentaries you see, you don't really get to dive deep into the officers that 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 did this, the people who put in the hours and really brought these people to justice. Like normally what you get is it's heavy on the serial killer and what was he like and what was his life like and what was the persona. And the cops are just kind of afterthoughts. They're usually just the people in the background. So we can kind of cover this serial killer. That's how it's done most of the time. So even though I didn't like everything about this, I did appreciate the attempt to shine a light on the, the 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 cops and the and the good guys, so to speak, the quote unquote good guys. Um, I like that it highlighted some of the victims and, and like um Heather talked about Anastasia's story. Man, that was just a chilling story. Like about being 
to put in a duffel bag and taken to this run down smelly house and, you know, all of the stuff that happened with the molestation and all that stuff. And I mean, these are some of these stories are very vivid stories. You know, they don't really uh, spare a lot of details. So some of these things are definitely descriptive. And a lot of what people said, uh, other just some some of the fan reactions I got from people that were watching this is that there are parts that are just uncomfortable and stuff like that. And yeah, hearing Anastasia describe, you know, trying to come up with any excuse for this person to stop touching her and stuff and saying, I told him I wanted to go to the bathroom and he would just put me on the sink and he would watch me like it's that kind of graphic. So, I mean, you know, there these are very vivid descriptions. The another thing that stood out to me was the way that this was shot. It's shot very cinematically with like not only do you get like these 3D models of crime scenes and stuff like that, like it'll take a crime scene photo. And then all of a sudden you're in this 3D model of a crime scene photo and the camera's spinning around trying to show you uh, different perspectives of this crime scene. And some of these scenes are pretty graphic. Now, it's not showing the whole thing. Of course, sometimes faces or just the really gory stuff is kind of blocked out. So it's not absolutely crazy. But these but still when i think about this and other true co- crime documentary stuff i've seen that this definitely was showed some of the most graphic crime scene photos that i've seen anyway and i'm somebody who's i'm a frequent frequent uh cold case file watcher uh for forensic files, autopsy on HBO, which is probably some of the most graphic crime scene stuff I've seen is HBO's autopsy. But yeah, this had definitely had some of that stuff. And, and Richard Ramirez, and I think this is why a lot of people were disappointed. You really don't get into Richard Ramirez until the fourth episode of this. But as they're telling the story of what happened and how they're chasing him and the victims and how he was going from house to house, terrorizing these people, killing people with guns, knives, molesting children, whatever it was that he was doing. And they're putting together the pieces and he's leaving shoe prints and they're trying to put this all together. But as they're telling in this story, Richard Ramirez kind of looms over this and like they never really show pictures of him until you get to the fourth episode. Like he, he, it's almost like he looms over the story as this presence that was doing these things. But the but the documentary is careful to really just highlight what was going on in the investigation and who were the people he was victimizing. Every name of every single victim is shown to you. You see every name, what the what age they were, like and and the the sheer amount of days. And it was like I think over 120 days that he was just kind of on this crime spree. And they really kind of put you in that perspective and everything about how difficult this case was, how other police in other districts would make 
collecting evidence and finding evidence difficult. How the news media, and that's where this female reporter comes in, which, yeah, I didn't like her that much either. And maybe some of that was by design because the cops didn't seem to like her very much too. And how they would meddle and you know, weave their way into these details and then um, how the cops would go back and forth with them about what to release and what not to release and how all of the how political figures like the mayor who just kind of broadcasted on TV. These are the clues that the cops have found so far. These are this is the shoe that the guy wears, everything like that. And kind of, you know, really almost brought the investigation to a standstill because of details that the police didn't want out there. So you really get a sense of this investigation. And if that is something that you didn't know anything about. If that's a side of this that you find interesting or want to see, that is definitely here. That really is the crux of this documentary is the investigation, the hunt for the serial killer. And I think all of that was excellently done. I think it is well shot and it kind of, and and like, kind of like somebody alluded to with like, there are these parts where it's super like cinematic. They never show Ramirez, but there are these first person camera shots of somebody sneaking into a home or yeah, you'll see a cat or something and then a gunshot will fire and you'll see a cat jump up on a, um, on a, on a desk and stuff like that. Really like cinematic stuff. And was all of that necessary? Not really. I mean, maybe you could have done without some of those dramatic elements, but it really felt like that's what this was trying to do, was really paint Ramirez as kind of this scary figure that was looming across Los Angeles doing all of these things. And that's what he is. He's almost like a ghost. He's something you don't see till you get to the end. And people are talking about him and you're seeing things happen and you're seeing these gruesome crime scenes. You're hearing these gruesome confessionals. And then finally, we get to episode four and we we have him now. And I think really that's where the weakness of the documentary is to me. They sort of, I think because the director was trying to shine such a light on the investigation and things like that, it didn't dive deep enough into anything about Ramirez. So finally, when we apprehended him, they gl- they really quickly, I want to say it was maybe a minute or two long, talked about how he had this rough childhood, how he would hang out in graveyards and stuff like that, how um, he saw a cousin kill who a cousin uh, kill his wife in front of him. And they, they talk about these things, but these things aren't really talked about in detail. They kind of sum up these things. And then I believe there was a comment like anything that could poison a child's life. It pretty much happened to him. And I wanted more than that. You know, I didn't, that I, I didn't think was enough for me. I was cool with the investigation and highlighting that and stuff like that. But when I got, but when we got the killer and episode four, I thought was really going to be about him because that's the way it starts. But they did kind of gloss over those things. And then you are listening to a reporter talk about and, and, and kind of to bring some context to what y'all were talking about with that reporter. She was talking about when she was hearing some of the victims 
victim testimonies. And then she was like, so I would be home at night and, you know, my, she told the story about the cat and she was thinking about the victims and trying to imagine what it would be like if he broke in the house and was on top of her and stuff. And I totally was kind of like, y'all, I was like, okay, woman, but this didn't happen to you, man. Like, <laughs> like, uh, uh, come on. Okay. So yeah. And I did, she was the one definitely where I felt like, okay, that was a bit much. Like, I mean, you know, I definitely did feel the same sentiments as you guys, but what I wanted at the end there was a little bit more about Ramirez. And I think that's why I say this is good, but not great. There are some things that are great about this. Highlighting the police and the victims instead of the killer. I'm cool with that. Definitely highlight them. Definitely let us know more about them. It's okay to learn more about the difficulties of an investigation. I find that interesting. I wasn't bored with that subject matter. But when it gets to the killer, let's put some stuff in there about them too. Like, and that's what I didn't, um, appreciated about it in the end. The stuff about the groupies that you were talking about, Heather, when it was talking about these women and how they would flock to him and stuff like that. It would have been nice to have maybe seen if we had gotten one of them or maybe if we had could have gotten a psychiatrist to talk about what this is or why this happens or why women do this. I think that should have been in here too. Uh, some of the things that the police were doing, like whenever they're talking about the difficulties of this investigation, there was a part in there where they were talking about different police of different districts and how sometimes police in certain districts would hide details and things from other policemen who are investigating the same guy just because they want to be the first ones to crack the case. They want to be the first ones to find the killer and stuff like that. So you have these police officers in different districts feuding and dueling with each other. And, you know, sometimes you see that in movies, but this, I just didn't realize like how often that happens. And I think that there was an opportunity for this to talk about some of those things too. Like it should have been, there, there should have been a highlight maybe on how inept police practices allowed this person to continue to kill because that's very much in there too. There were a lot of parts where there was human error and stuff like that. And I think maybe you could have said something more about that too. And that's ultimately why I think are the things that prevent this from being great. I think there were some opportunities to really talk about some psychological stuff, to really talk about, you know, some of the police practices and stuff like that, too. I don't mind highlighting the police, but I think just painting them as look at these obstacles they had to overcome. Yes. But I was more like, damn, those shouldn't be obstacles. Police shouldn't be hiding things from pe- from other police. Uh, you know, th- these groupies and stuff like that, there should have been more of a conversation about those things. Uh, they do this thing, too, in the documentary throughout where there are the and this is the last thing I'll say. They do this thing constantly in the documentary where there are like these voiceovers of Richard Ramirez saying these things and they kind of do this distortion thing with the font. And, you know, it's very cinematic, you know, very kind of chilling stuff that he's saying. But I wish they had talked about more about 
the stuff with the satanic stuff and how people interpreted that and how that might have contributed to the satanic panic. Because all of this kind of happened around that time. You know, people were already kind of scared of Satan and stuff like that. And here you have a killer with a pentagram on his hand talking about hell, Satan in the courtroom. It would have been cool to maybe hear some of that, too like about the craze that this caused and the unrest that this caused. So while I felt like this was great at highlighting some things, it left so much on the table that they could have highlighted that really prevents it from being a great documentary, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, to expand upon some of those things you were talking about, Justin, um, I don't have a problem with them highlighting the detectives i don't have a problem with them highlighting the the victims in fact one of my favorite true crime podcasts focuses more on the victims than they do the killers or uh criminals you know and and things like that because i do think that that's the most interesting part of it but where i have issues with this documentary though with that stuff is the fact that I think they could have framed it better and gotten the best of both worlds. You could have had four or five episodes, each dedicated to an, uh, a certain aspect of it. Do one episode about the cops. Do one ep episode about the victims. Do one episode about the investigation and the issues and all that other stuff. Do an episode based on or just around him. Do an episode based on the trial aspect of it. Get further into that. Because to me, also, they skip over the trial. The trial yes. itself, like five minutes of this. You could have done yeah. five episodes, you know, 35, 45 minutes each, whatever, getting more in depth into each aspect of it. And I think it would have worked better because you would have gotten each of the elements that you talked about. And I think you would have done more justice to them because I don't really feel like this really highlighted the victims. I think that it showed the victims. But I think I think it skipped over a lot of their stuff more often than not to focus on the police more than I, I necessarily felt like they should. I mean, I I understand it might be a big deal to this guy, but I didn't need like five minutes of this cop in the last episode talking about how he wished his dad was there when he caught him. I don't give a fuck about that. Like, I understand they're trying to add a human element to it all, with especially with the detectives, but it just seems like a weird down point to bring into it. I think you could have framed it better and, and, and been more specific with your episodes because also that's the other thing. I, I don't see why they split it up into four episodes like they did. There wasn't a defining thing about each episode other than Richard Ramirez didn't show up till the last one. That's the only defining thing about any of these episodes was that I think they could have utilized if that was the format they were going with. I think they could have used utilized it better than they did. Um, going into some of these other elements, I don't know. Maybe I am just so fucking desensitized to true crime and serial killers and crime scene imagery and this and that. I didn't think that there was a single fucking disturbing thing in this fucking show at all. Nothing. I don't think anything the victim said other than the fact that it's real was any necessarily worse than shit I've heard on Law & Order SVU. I mean, it's just the, the crime scene photos I don't think were any more disturbing or more gory or violent or anything else than shit I've seen in just books that I've read about yeah. this shit. 
So like I was completely unfazed by any of that. Now, granted, like I said, maybe it is I am just beyond desensitized to this stuff. But like when I was seeing people comment that on your Facebook post, Justin, I was really I was I was thrown aback. Like I was surprised because I never felt any of that watching it. And like, yeah, I, I was just going through and I'm like trying to think I'm like, what the fuck was just graphic or disturbing? And then, I mean, I guess you, when you were talking about it, I guess is when it kind of clicked that, yeah, maybe just normal people don't do that shit. So maybe normal people aren't used to it. But when I was seeing it, I'm like, I don't remember anything being graphic or disturbing or anything. Like one person, and I, I don't remember who it was, specifically said that they wished it was less that. And I just remember thinking, less than what? <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, you know, we're we're kind of cut from it from a different cloth. I mean, we've sat there and watched Irreversible and <laughs> found it entertaining. Like, I mean, you know, we we we're okay, just Justin, don't we say are, entertaining like that. That sounds well, fucked not, up. No, not that part. But, <laughs> but I'm you just know, saying, in we, we think it's a good movie. Yes, yes. But okay, in, that, but in yes. other words, we think it's a good movie. I don't I'll, know if I would ever way, say bad. Irreversible is entertaining, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just well, I'm looking out for myself there, buddy. I cannot I can't have you throwing my name in captivating. Maybe something okay. more like captivating, yes. compelling. Yeah. How about that? We'll yes. go with that. Maybe that those were the those are better words to describe that. Because yeah, there are parts that are just like, oh my God, I can't believe I watched that. Irreversible but, is one of the least entertaining, captivating great movies out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, but, you know, me, but, but I've said that to say me and you, we're, we're a little more desensitized than most people. And sometimes I myself have to remember that. So like, I was hearing a lot of that though, Sterling, that it was too much. It was too, that, that there was too much of that. There was too much of that. But to your point, I think some of it was that way because it was trying to be too cinematic and maybe should this have been as cinematic as it was should it just been more informative because i agree with you like what you said if they had divided it into okay now we're this episode's going to be about the officers this is going to be about the victims this is going to be about the investigation this episode's going to be about richard ramirez this episode's going to highlight the trial and then we're going to just talk about overall stuff you know and end it on a positive note whatever that is that probably would have been better. But I think for the sake of trying to tell this almost like a cinematic story, they started with his first few victims and they're trying to find clues. And then there's more victims and they're finding clues and having trouble. And then there's more victims and they're finding clues and having trouble. Then finally they get the name. Then the fourth episode is his arrest. So it plays Kind of like a story version of the investigation itself. But if that, but I think maybe if it wasn't trying to tell it in such a cinematic way, maybe you could have been more informative and then you wouldn't have needed as many crime scenes and so many vivid details like that. You could have just been trying to inform as best that you could have. So maybe that is the issue. You know what I mean? Well, but it, I mean, even in the format I said, and like the third episode is just more about the investigation part of it. You could throw all of that in that episode and still have it be yeah. more informative. 
you know, mm-hmm. I think it's just it's such a disconnect with things. I mean, part of it is because of why I consume true crime materials is one reason why I might disconnect from something like this, because whenever I'm reading or watching or listening to something about true crime, I'm more interested in the victims and the killer. And with it, when it comes to the killer, it's not necessarily, you know, some morbid thing outside of just their psychology. That's what I'm interested in. Why are they a killer? I don't really care about anything else. I want to know why they are the way they are. Uh, I mean, backstory for me, I've kind of been obsessed with this type of stuff for a very long time. I, uh, when I went to college, I was, I was a criminology major originally. It was sociology with an emphasis on criminology because of serial killers. I wanted to be a fucking FBI agent until I realized that FBI agents, it's just a bullshit job and it's mainly white collar crime bullshit. That's what ended up like getting me not in that. But I was obsessed with serial killers and it was, it was the psychology of why they are the way they are. That was why it was sociology and criminology and things like that for me is I was obsessed with learning why killers became killers, you know, especially to that degree, especially when you get into the definition of a serial killer. We've got this weird modified version of the definition of a serial killer, which now it's more or less like they consider the definition of a serial killer someone that kills three or more people. And that's not what it used to be. The original person that coined the term serial killer. I'm sorry, I don't remember the guy's name, but the guy that created that term was the first person to ever use it. It was specifically used for people that killed uh, for a sexual reason. And it does get a little obscure because there might not be a sexual component to their crimes. You know, when you get into somebody like Jack the Ripper, where he wasn't like raping his victims, but you look at it and there's still a sexual component to it by like removing the genital organs, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. then one of the stranglers, I don't remember which one, there's been a billion of them, but he strangled, uh, sex workers there were like brunettes and, and, and stuff like that because his mom who had sexually abused him as a child was a brunette sex worker. So he was killing people that were more or less surrogates for his mother because of what she had done to him as a child. So that falls under for a sexual reason, those type of components. There are people like Ed Gein and Albert Fish. Albert Fish may have killed more than one person, but as far as we know and what he was convicted for was one child was one uh, female child. Ed Gein killed two people. Both of them are always in any serial killer encyclopedia or book or anything like that. They are always in there because of the sexual reasons behind their crimes, because that was the definition of a serial killer, you know? And so those aspects of what I find interesting about true crime, you don't really get in this. You get some aspect of the victim's but I think they could have done more. They could have done more of the historical, like just you tell the life of the victim leading up to when they die the best you can. I love those stories. I think that that's what adds the humanity to it. And I think it's because it's their job. I don't feel like the police aspect of it adds the humanity to it. Telling the victim story does. And I feel like they attempted to do that. They showed like a good faith effort to do that. I don't feel like they really succeeded at doing that in this. 
you know? And then, like you said, Justin, yeah, go into why Richard Ramirez was as fucked up as he was. I mean, I've always yeah. had a theory about Richard Ramirez. I don't think he actually, the whole satanic element of his character, I don't really feel existed. I feel like that was show trial bullshit. Kind of like Charles Manson cutting a swastika into his forehead. You know, I think that that was shit for the trial. And mm. I know that there were some aspects of it at the crime scenes and stuff like that. But there's also lots of cases of people doing stuff like that where you do something at a crime scene and it's meant not necessarily always as a misdirect, but it's it's meant he wanted to be infamous. So what is more infamous than the devil, you know, type of thing? I feel like mm -hmm. he was adding that because it wasn't something that was a part of his crimes until later on in the spree. So adding that yeah. into it, I think that that was adding to his infamy. And once he was caught, what did he want to do? Add to his infamy. I mean, they you show one clip of it and I wish they showed more of it, more aspects of the trial and stuff. And this is why I really wish they got into the trial. His lawyer openly said in court that he wanted to take the D out, DA out, DA, ugh, DA out to the parking lot. That is a really hard thing to say fast. He wanted to take the DA out to the parking lot and fight him. He yes, said this in that, open that little clip. Court. Yes, that, that there was a clip of that in there, but they didn't really jump into it. They just kind of showed that clip exactly. and then it skipped on. Yeah, they like that. And that's why like all of a sudden he shows up with a pentagram on his hand. And then he's saying things like hail Satan at the trial and stuff like that. That's why I think it's show. And that's what I think would have been so interesting to also go into why you should have had an entire episode dedicated to the fucking trial. Not like 15 minutes. Mm. Yeah, I definitely needed that. I agree. They just glossed over it. And I heard that it, and it was so long and there were so many people and who came up and were witnesses and he and for what I understand, he went on tantrums and just did all kinds of disruptive stuff at the trial. So, yeah, man, it, it, to, to have gotten an episode dedicated to that would have been great, you know? That's why I think they did the wrong format for what they were doing, because while I might not be compelled by the police aspects of it, somebody like you is. OK, cool. That's why you get one episode solely based on that. You get one episode of the victims, one episode just solely about the trials and tribulations of the investigation. You know, like you're talking about other police departments mishandling evidence, other police departments holding things back, you know, those aspects of it. You get in one episode just solely about him and then one episode of the trial, I think, fixes so many aspects of it because you get a little bit of everything. You know, you get the aspects you found interesting. You get the aspects I find interesting. You get aspects yeah. that trial junkies find interesting. You know, I yeah. mean, you get all those aspects. You could have, just def you know, defense attorney experts sit there and go. Well, yeah, this is why this d attorney was doing stuff like this, because that's how you really kind of fuck with the prosecution in the middle of a trial. You can get into all those things and it would really help out. What were you saying, Heather? I think that that's an interesting point. I do think that um, about the trial itself would have been really interesting. I mean, and I also think that what you said about it could have just been for show. That's an interesting point, too, because another thing that I did that did stand out a little bit about it is you know, they let you hear like his words of what he said when he was there, you know, and he's like, you don't understand, 
you're not expected to, um, you're not capable of it because I'm beyond your experience. You know, saying those things sounds more like he has sort of almost like a God complex in a way. You know what I mean? So it, it's almost just like he wanted to be infamous. So maybe it really was about him feeling like, you know, he was the end all be all and that he was the most powerful and things like that, you know? So I don't know. It, it is interesting. It would be I would be curious to see a whole trial about that for sure. Yeah. Or um, a whole like episode about that. Yeah. I mean, I am a trial junkie. I love trials. I mean, that's why I love the original Law and Order so much is half of each episode is dedicated to the trial. I love it. And that's what I wanted to see. And that's why I'm sad you don't get that in this. You get just that tiny little blip. No, yeah, I like, I definitely agree with what you're saying. And that's why, like, even though, and that's why this is kind of fascinating to me, because like, or maybe it fascinated is the wrong word, but what I'm saying is like, it's almost like in a noble effort to do this, to to highlight the the police and some of the victims and stuff like that. And it's almost like, it feels like almost like there was such an attempt not to spotlight the killer, Richard Ramirez, that maybe ultimately what you wound up doing was hurting this. It was almost like he he didn't want to do that. And there's something noble about saying, I want to highlight the officers and the people and stuff and the investigation. I don't want to highlight this killer. Okay, cool. But in a way, it still hurt this, though, didn't it? Because because I feel like there was such an effort made to gloss over Richard Ramirez. It actually winds up hurting this because when you name something the Night Stalker, even though in fine print it says the hunt for the serial killer, people are coming before the Night Stalker. You know, it's kind of like what you said. I want to see the killer, the the kill, the killer, the killer highlighted. I want to see stuff about him. I want to see, and I don't think you're the only one that feels like that. I think there are a lot of people that will probably go into this thinking. I want to know more about Richard Ramirez, and when you don't get that, I get the sense that you could feel kind of disappointing, and it's almost like it feels like in a noble effort to do something good like highlight the police and the people that caught him and the victims more than you do the killer. That feels like a noble thing to do. But I feel like in doing that, it did kind of hurt this thing, though, at the same time, I guess. Well, I mean, they did such a good job of hiding that aspect of it in the title. I legitimately did not know that was part of the title till you guys told me. I did not know (laughs) that this documentary was called anything other than Night Stalker. I thought that that's what it was called. I didn't realize that this documentary was actually called, you know, Night Stalkers, Satanic Killers Unit, or whatever the fuck it was. I didn't know this. Like, it was super fine print, you know? And maybe it wasn't. You know, I don't always read the opening title of a documentary, or any movie for that matter. I'm never sitting there going, (laughs) man, I need this opening title to tell me what the name of this movie is. I just knew it was Night Stalker, you know what I mean? And I get it. Because sometimes there is a terrible, gross fascination with serial killers to the degree of glorification of them. I get it. And you don't yeah. want to contribute to that. That's that's 100%. Valid. Yep. 
and that's noble and i can't fault you for that but what i can do though is say that you did try to do that or give that image you still can't call it the you know night stalker and then claim you don't want to glorify him i think if you really wanted to go that route you just call the documentary the hunt for the night stalker yeah yeah. Or change the or change the the um arrangement of it and just say hunt for a serial killer, the night stalker. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Something. You put that yeah. front and center. Don't make your yeah. front and center the name of the fucking serial killer and then say you don't yeah. want to glorify him. It's right. deceptive. It's misleading. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It's it's really the, is the equivalent of, of Jason Goes to Hell. You can't have a fucking Jason movie. The Jason's not motherfucking in. Okay. That's what this is. Oh, God, that movie. Am I wrong, though? <laughs> I mean, it's what it is. It's Jason no, Goes to right. Hell. That is not the route I thought you were going to go, but it, that's great. Don't get me wrong. Jason does go to hell in that movie. The, the, the title of the movie is correct, but quit acting like it's a fucking Friday the 13th movie because it's not. <laughs> this movie is a fucking, is what, it's about like a, a doctor that, loves Jason that becomes him for the last five minutes of the movie or whatever bullshit it was. Fuck that. It's not a Jason movie. (laughs) All I remember is that scene where it's like a doctor. He looks at a brain. This is Jason's brains. And he looks at the brain. He goes, hmm. And he eats the brain. And then he goes, I'm Jason now. And I went, what is this? (laughs) What is this? (laughs) Okay. I mean, it really is oh, like, man. like, you know, me saying, like, making a documentary going, the Sterling documentary on why I love cats. And then it's just about dogs for like four episodes. And then we get to cats for the last one. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, don't name it that if you're really wanting to do that. Because why? They did that on purpose. They named it that way to get people to watch it, thinking it'd be one thing and then getting another, you know. I mean, it really would be like if they called the Tiger King documentary, How to Ethically Treat Animals, The Story of the Tiger King, Bad Business Practices, Netflix. I mean, and, you know, that's and and I understand that, like, not everybody's built that way the same with me. But, like, I just I would have rather just watched a fucking episode of something on the ID channel than watch this. And I mean, I don't know. Did anybody else have severe problems with that one cop more or less talking about how he violated the Constitution to get that guy to name Richard Ramirez? I understand you get the whole concept of, <laughs> yeah. you know, do the ends justify the means? But and also it was the 80s. So maybe the Constitution didn't matter as much back then. I, I say that it didn't come on, get real. But I was really bothered by that. If I was that cop, I would have just took it to the grave. I understand the cop did it. I just wouldn't admit it to it. Not yeah. Threatening violence a, that, to get the and name. that's another. Yeah. Like, I'm glad you brought that up. I forgot to bring that up. But again, that's another missed opportunity. That was another chance to kind of highlight how 
police can be violent. And was that justified or not? You know, was that something that he should have been more remorseful about? You know, that that's another thing, like the fact that he said that and he kind of said it like, yeah, you know, we we got the name and, uh, you know, I had to hit him. He bucked up to me and I had to hit him, but we got the name. I, I get, yeah, the ends justify the means. I get where they were going with that. But yeah, nowadays, that doesn't land. It didn't land that great with me either. And I'm like, well, here we go again, kind of glorifying police violence, you know? And and so, yeah, there's a conversation to be had about that because there was a lot of police ineptitude in this, but it's sort of painted as an obstacle that these two good detectives had to overcome in order to finish this investigation. Those are just speed bumps. Those are just cracks in the road that you just come upon. But there should have been something in there about these shouldn't be cracks. These shouldn't be. They kind of were like, well, you know, that's life. You know, yep, these cops were hiding information from us. These people were not. There was a lack of communication between police and politicians. And we were trying to save certain details of the investigation and they just put them out there anyway. Yeah, that sucked, man. But them's the breaks. But how come there wasn't a conversation about how that's not right? Like. This is why, you know, there are a lot of things in here where you could say, man, there was a lot here that could have been reflective in regards to police reform, but we didn't really do that either. So, yeah, it's just like another missed opportunity. I mean, when that guy was saying that story about how he hit the guy and then when the guy was like, I'm still not going to tell you. And he's like, I was running back to hit him again. And he's like, oh, it's Richard Ramirez. And he's like telling that story. He really came across to me as like the type of cop that would sit there's like, yeah, I remember back in the days when you could beat confessions out of suspects. Fucking great. Like, that's the attitude he had with it, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, if he had sat there and said that and been like, you know, should I have done that? No. But at the time, all I could think about was stopping this deranged killer and it got the best of me. You know what? I'd sympathize the fuck out that. You know, yeah, you it'd be yeah. completely understandable and you can be like, man, it might be wrong. But, you know, it it's just the circumstances they were in and the pressure. And, you know, how could I like how would I personally handle the idea that if another person died, can you blame me for it? Because I wasn't able to get this guy to talk, you know, those types of like aspects of that, you know, you could actually understand it's more believable. It's more personable. You know, it can connect to anybody on a basic human level. But he's just like, no, nah, I beat the fuck out of the guy and got the got the name. Awesome. And I'm just like, ugh, that's so bothersome to me. Because now all I think about is that cop doing it now and a killer getting mm. off because of it. That's what I think of with it. And I know the real simple fix is, well, just don't let the killer off because of it. But I mean, if we don't have undeniable constitutional guarantees with our system, Next thing you know, dude, they could be beating you to get a confession. They could beat your friend to get them to name you, and now you're in jail. You didn't do a damn thing. That's what it helps stop. <laughs> That's the whole point yeah. of it, is that you guarantee it across the board so that somebody can't get railroaded in an innocent person in jail because of it. Does it always work that way? No. But is that the best possible way to make sure that an innocent person goes to jail is to make sure that, you know, 
cops can't go overboard with stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the best things about it. And so all I can think about is that cop was wrong for doing it. I understand in the 1985, 86, whatever the fuck it was, lens of things, was that going too far? At that time, actually, I don't know if it was completely illegal for them to do that, you know. But all I can think about now in 2021 is if a cop did that, Richard Ramirez would probably not be going to jail if this was happening now. And that thought scares me. Right. Great point. That's a very good point. And like you said, like at the time, this was such uh, he was unlike anything that these police had ever dealt with. I mean, just killing people, no real MO, just doing all sorts of random things. Sometimes there are pentagrams, sometimes there's not. Sometimes people are raped, sometimes people are let go, sometimes people are killed. I mean, it was just so incredibly random and there was so much pressure. And unlike you said, man, that cop had a moment to where he could have There could have been some levity with that cop or if he had been remorseful about it, like I broke the rules, I shouldn't have done this, but this is what happened, you know, and and I did it at that time. And if he had just kind of gone and if we had gotten some sense that the cop thought knew that what he did was wrong, but at the time he felt like he had to do it, that would be one thing. But the but like you said, the way that he described it, you don't feel that that cop learned a lesson there. You just feel like he was kind of saying, yeah, I did it and it was justified and it's not. You know, that motherfucker said it like he did it two days before that and two days after that. Yeah. He just said that like that was the part of his investigational tactics. Like, well, we're at the beating stage now. Ugh. You know, like, yeah, like you said, Jeff, like, you know, we we said, like, if he just had that come to Jesus moment with it, you know, like, it's what I did. And I mean, honestly, even if he had said something to the degree of, you know, I know I shouldn't have done it and everything like this. And I think about it all the time. But if push came to shove and I, it was still like, stop Richard Ramirez or, you know, not do this again, he's like, I'd still do it again to stop him. That would still be understandable, you know, like if you put it in the context of this, it was like it was solely about this case and it just Mm. didn't come across that way. And like I said, also zero remorse. And like I said, just like that wasn't the first time and definitely not the last time he ever did it. And that's what I think is just so worrisome to me. Uh, So we got any more thoughts about this documentary? Nope. No, I'm good. All right. Let's talk about other shit then. As in movie serial killers or serial killer movies, however you want to word it, however you want to phrase it, whatever you want it to mean. Let's talk about those because I know Justin put it on Facebook. I had a couple of people respond to some of my posts with it. I don't know any of the movies they were saying, though, so I can't comment on them. I can comment on a couple of the ones that were said under Justin's. Like one guy brought up Manhunter. That's an underrated fucking movie. That was the original version of the cinematic Cannibal Lecter movies uh, that was based on Red Dragon, which was the first book. They made Manhunter back in the day, and then they made Silence of the Lambs, and then that was so big and so popular, that's why they went back and remade Red Dragon and called it Red Dragon. That's the difference, too. They called it Manhunter in the original, which I think Hmm. does a disservice, because, like, why do you change the name of the book? Like, if the book's named Red Dragon, fucking call your movie Red Dragon. Anyway, but yeah, so 
you have that aspect of it. And I think that that is why it's under, underrated. No one even knows that that's fucking what it is. Nobody knows it's technically the first Hannibal Lecter movie. And it has Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter. And I think that's infinitely better than uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter. And it's mainly because I don't feel like Brian Cox actually eats people. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins does. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know that for sure. You're very sure of it. <laughs> I just really believe Anthony Hopkins was just portraying an average Monday when he played Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> but Brian Cox I, does a fantastic job. Um, the main guy from CSI, what's his name? Grisham or whatever. That's the guy that plays the Edward Norton character in that in the original movie. And he does a fantastic job. And it's directed by Michael Mann, who knows how to do a crime drama. Like, that's Michael Mann's wheelhouse. And I think it was fantastic. It's a super good movie. And I totally agree with that guy. Underrated as fuck. Brian Cox is fucking brilliant. And Michael Mann. In a crime drama, sign me the fuck up. But that's not, like I said, we're not even getting into one of my picks for this. This is just one of the ones I directly remember off Justin's Facebook. So I just want to give that guy a shout out, even though I don't remember his name. There we go. Yeah, I need to see that, man. I think that's the only, like, the Hannibal Lecter movie, as far as the movies, because I know, like, didn't something called Hannibal come out that was a TV series? Oh, that uh, TV series is fucking amazing oh is it oh yeah dude hands down the best hannibal lecter thing you will ever see wow it's like and that, see, I huh? feel easily like, easily yeah i mean you've got feel Matt like nicholson playing hannibal it's fucking great hmm is it mads nicholson what's his name i don't know but he's, he's been in a billion things i mean he played the bad guy in doctor strange he was also the, the guy that designed the death star in rogue squadron anyway Super great actor. Super fucking fantastic. It really is hands down the best thing in the Hannibal universe you will ever see. But more importantly, I think you skipped over something, Justin. You said you've seen all the other Hannibal Lecter things. So you saw Hannibal Rising when it was young Hannibal? Oh, God. Yes. Oh, God. Oh, why now, did you bring that up? I'm not saying that I want Anthony Hopkins to eat people. But if Anthony Hopkins ate everybody involved with that movie, I wouldn't blame him. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. Just saying. Not one bit. <laughs> God, that was terrible. I'm sorry, Heather. You, I, th I think you tried to chime in. Oh, I was just saying that I feel like television shows that I've seen, I feel like television shows have done better at, at least in, in my opinion, um, putting things out there about serial killers that are more entertaining or more interesting to watch. Um, like for me, I mean, there's some great movies out there. Like, I mean, I, I think I mentioned this on a few different episodes, but my friend Dahmer about Jeffrey Dahmer before he became, you know, the infamous Jeffrey Dahmer is a fantastic movie about him leading up to the point when he goes on his spree, like it pretty much ends right when he is um, like picking up his first victim that you know later is his first victim. It's really, really great. But I mean, I feel like shows like Mindhunter for one, where it's kind of like based on like that FBI group that started, 
you know, trying to profile serial killers and things like that and hunt them down. That show is fantastic. And I think that is probably one of the best ones I've seen about it because they go, it's about cases in the seventies when this whole, you know, um, I guess behavioral unit of people that like, you know, try to investigate and understand serial killers happened for the first time. And they do like Charles Manson and they do the Atlanta murders and they do son of Sam and they just have all of these actual serial killer cases um, in this show. And it's really, really fantastic. So I feel like shows have done a better job of keeping my interest when it comes to learning about these serial killers and their the psychology of who they are. I could see that because yeah. something like that really lends itself to the long form narrative. And I was right. It is Mads Mikkelsen. So I just wanted to look that up and make sure I was right. Cool. And yeah, uh, to Heather's point of just about TV. Yeah. Um, I've never seen Mindhunter. Um, but yeah, just but but when I think about TV and serial killers, Dexter just always just kind of up until the right. last comes few to seasons. Mind. Yeah, up until those last few seasons. But man, like the first, like, I would say what, season one through four? Uh I I also prob- liked five. But yeah. Yeah. But 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 and, and maybe throw five in there too. But dude, but there was a time though when when I was watching Dexter, I didn't think there was anything better on TV. Like I really thought that the it had a moment. Oh, you're where not wrong. It was untouchable. Like it was just so good. It was so dark. It had this, there was a mysticism to it. There was this comedy kind of element to it. There was a dark comedy element to it. And it was like a mystery. You were trying to figure out who this killer was and stuff like that. And some of the shocks of that series, man, this makes me kind of want to go back and watch. I'll say this. Some of my favorite seasons. One of the best season finales of a show ever is the end of the Trinity Killer season in Dexter. Oh, man. I don't yeah. want to spoil what that is, even though it's an old yeah, show. Yeah, not going to say it. Yeah. But that was one of the best endings, like on a season finale, I have ever seen. Yeah. That, that's got to be one of the greatest endings to an episode. Oh, that's another topic for another day. Just like great season endings or great like endings to episodes but yeah dude i think you're right it's got to be one of the best ones it's right up there with like the red wedding and just some of those famous like season enders it's got to be one of the best ones you know gotta be yeah and and also to put into context about how far dexter falls off i watched every episode of smallville I still haven't finished the last season of Dexter. I have not finished the last two seasons of Dexter still to this day. Man, I know what happens Man. at the end of it, and I still haven't watched that. And the reason why I brought up Smallville is I was able to make it through all of those, and it dropped off hardcore. But I, it drops off so far in Dexter that I have had zero desire to ever finish it. I don't blame you, man. And I, I finished it and I shouldn't have. I, if I could go back and erase those memories, I would. So, yeah, you are not well, you, you are not missing anything. They are doing a reboot kind of thing with it. They are doing like a, I heard about that, like a 10 season or 10 episode extra season or whatever. So maybe that'll fix it. Let's hope so. I will remain hopeful because like we said, at one time, 
Dexter was just the absolute shit. So it would be nice if the reboot could end it on a more, on a higher note than what it was, which, hell, based on what we got, probably wouldn't be hard. I mean, (laughs) so good luck to them on that. Man, it's not, dude. And like I said, I haven't seen any of it, but I know how it ends. Dude, they they could have just done anything else, and I think it would have been better. Like, if they just didn't even film the last episode, I think it would have been better. If they just went, nah, we can't finish this the right way, considering everything we built up to now. We're just not even going to bother finishing it. And I think fans would have gone, I get it. That's fair. But, I mean, what about movies, though? I mean... I've got one, and I don't know if anybody said it. I'm sure somebody did, and I may have missed it. But as far as movies go, honestly, I think the best one that's truly like like that, to me, honestly, has to be Scream. That first Scream. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. I think encapsulates everything you would want about that. You get the history of the killers. You get the story of the victims. You get all those things, and I think... It's just one of the best ones because it's also making fun of horror movies. So when you get that satire in it also, I think it's just so fucking genius. Yeah, it's a that's a great one. And I guess that because I always just consider that more of like, oh, that's a horror movie as opposed to a serial killer movie. But you're right. No, that's that's actually a great choice. No, I totally agree. Like, definitely. And and I'm kind of like Heather, like, whenever I was thinking of serial killer movies, I didn't immediately think of horror movies. But yeah, you know, like, they, they are, ser- a lot of them are serial killers. So yeah, you know, they're fictionalized serial killers. So, and, and like, in that instance, though, they're they're human beings in Scream. So exactly. It kind of works. It's not a Freddy yeah. or a Jason. Yeah. It's not a spectral ghost-like being like that. So, yeah. So, I didn't immediately think of him, uh, of Scream. But, yeah, that that's a great choice. And, and also, just something interesting about, like, everybody who was commenting and stuff like that. I didn't see, although, you know, like Silence of the Lambs is kind of held up as this high regard is like this ultimate, like one of those like top great movies. But nope, but hardly anybody mentioned that as their favorite, you know, so that's because it's a documentary about how Anthony Hopkins eats people. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I just found that interesting too. Like the one that seems to have this kind of critical reputation isn't one that a lot of people, it was mentioned a few times here and there, but like you said, the guy talked more about how he liked Manhunter than anybody talked about Silence of the Lambs, you know? So I just found that interesting too. Uh, As far as just a movie that I uh, that I like that I don't think anybody mentioned on here, but, uh, and I mean, I guess it's more about a real serial killer and not so much a fictionalized one, but I I was surprised nobody mentioned monster with Charlize Theron. And and maybe that's because nobody, not too many people have seen that movie, but. Well, and I think part of that is because the claim to fame for that movie is that Charlize Theron got ugly for it. (laughs) <laughs> and i i do disagree with that monster is a great movie 
But unfortunately, its claim to fame is that's the Charlize Theron was ugly movie. I get that. So it became more or about the Charlize won her what, Oscar for that movie. You know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, because she got yeah. ugly. Like, that's the sad right. thing about yeah. it. And that's taken precedence over what the what was actually in the film. I, I, I get that, man. I, I definitely get that. I think you've got a point with that. But yeah, that that's kind of one of those for me personally. I thought that was great. I, I thought that that was really like one of the better as far as a serial killer movie that kind of is highlighting an actual person who did serial killing. Like as far as that goes, uh, I just really um, enjoyed that. Uh, American Psycho is another one that I really enjoyed. Now, to be fair, I haven't seen that movie in years. So I wonder if I would feel differently about it today i but don't know i remember huh i think it holds up i saw it again like six months ago or so oh cool i okay. mean honestly okay. i think if you like the movie before i don't remember like i said i watched it like six this month ago i don't remember it being of a lesser quality you know what i mean okay that's good to know that's I, good I, to know i think it, it i mean i guess it really depends on why you like it but i mean if you just want to see just a raw amazing performance by christian bale it 100 yeah. holds the fuck up hell yeah he dude. still like, just nails it every fucking scene man and i just, still think one of the most iconic scenes in movie death history is that one with him and jared leto when he's fucking talking about huey lewis in the news getting that axe ready to murder him that's a fucking gorgeous beautiful amazing perfect fucking scene that is a great man. There are just so many great scenes in that movie. But yeah, that part, um, the I got to go return the videotapes to the bathroom where he's got his hands on the guy's neck and he's a, like doing everything he can to not like it, it was just there are so many just like memorable scenes in that movie and like you said like christian bale man that that is i i mean i don't know if he ever acted better than he did you know every i feel like every actor has their peak like i think it was wasn't it the soul movie where they said you you know when you're doing your thing you go to like this astral place or something like you're just in the zone and you're just doing the thing that you do the best you possibly can well if I think w when Christian Bale did that movie, he was there because like I, that is one of just the best performances I think he's ever given. I, I just it was just that amazing. So if there's anybody that hasn't seen American Psycho, which it's been around for what? When did it come out? Like it's been years, but early 2000s, I think. Yeah. Like, wow. So don't tell me that movie's 20 years old. It might be. Uh yes, it is. Yeah, it's it's two thousand. You're right, two thousand. So yeah. wow, that movie is that movie is old enough to drink. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> that but but no, that definitely check that one out if you haven't because yeah, that it definitely deserves to be touted and talked about. And yeah, Sterling, I will be watching that probably this week, man. Cause yeah, I need to revisit that shit for real, man. Whenever he's sitting there fucking those chicks, but he's like looking at himself in the mirror and flexing and shit, man, that's so fucking good, man. Man, I love flexing that damn movie. And, yeah, man, he's flexing and yeah. fucking, man, flexing and fucking. <laughs>
you know, I never had any desire to get physically fit ever in my life. But now that I'm thinking about it, I might want to try it once just so I can flex and fuck. <laughs> if anything, if you ever Man. see me get healthy, like if you ever see me get all muscular and shit, just know in your heart of hearts, fans, it's solely because I want to get on that flex and fuck. That's it. I just want to see what it's about. Cool. I've, I, I totally knew. drug down the mood. Yeah. <laughs> and I just take it honestly. I don't take it as I ruined anything. I just think take it as everybody's just sitting there and reflecting on a flex and fuck. <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> I was just making sure nobody else was about to go, but um, I know a couple of people, at least one person mentioned Zodiac, which I mean, I would I would say yes for that one. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. See, I thought that that was a good way of handling a serial killer movie without knowing who the serial killer is. I think that they handled that aspect of it well. And if I'm remembering correctly, at one point I read a piece of trivia where they actually had a few different people play the Zodiac killer in that movie to kind of add visually the aspect of we don't know who it is. That's cool. That's that's really cool. And yeah, it's superbly acted movie so yeah i was glad that um somebody mentioned that one for sure i know one i saw i mean and yeah it's a classic and a couple of people brought it up with the original psycho i get it um i do want to clarify something though that uh that was kind of incorrect that somebody said about it when they were talking about how alfred hitchcock psycho inspired leatherface that's technically inaccurate um while there is a connection between the two characters, it's not that Psycho inspired Leatherface. It's that Ed Gein, the serial killer, inspired both those characters. That's the true story. They are mm. interconnected. It's just, yeah, Leatherface wasn't inspired by Norman Bates. They're just both inspired by different aspects of the Wisconsin ghoul Ed Gein, which, if you do remember, I mentioned earlier in this episode, because he only actually killed two people that we know of. Most of his uh, weirdness came from digging up graves and harvesting corpses. Like, you know, he had some soup bowls made of human skulls, had a belt made of nipples, lampshades made of skin, um, had a body made up of human skin to, like, dress up as his mother in. So, honestly, also Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs also ties into that. All of those three characters, which are huge in, you know, movie kind of killer lore with Norman Bates, Leatherface, yeah. and Buffalo Bill, they all get their inspiration from Ed Gein in some way, shape, or form. I mean, Buffalo Bill was doing the whole skin thing. Uh, Norman Bates was dressing like his mother. Uh, Leatherface was doing the human skin mask thing. Uh, yeah, they all tie back to him. They were all inspired by Ed Gein and aspects of what he did. So that's the actual connection between the two. I just wanted to throw that out there for clarification's sake. That person also said that Steven Spielberg also took ideal ideas and was inspired by that movie for Jaws. I didn't know that. Oh, uh, yeah, that the was... whole the musical uh, as far as my understanding and I could be wrong, but my understanding of of it was the musical uh surges for the kills. Oh, okay. I that was that. my understanding okay. of it. Of, you know, how like the whole Norman Bates in the shower scene, the, you know, that's not actually the sound of somebody getting stabbed. It was, you know, the music. <laughs> and 
Yeah. It's the whole thing of the Donna, Donna, you know, that ramp up yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. That was that's my understanding of the inspiration. Now, could I have misread that somewhere or could be completely wrong or that's just like an urban legend as far as it goes? Because, you know, like I said, it could just be that Steven Spielberg said that, you know, that like, oh, yeah, I was inspired by Psycho. And then somebody made up the rest of that. But that was my understanding of what his inspiration was for some of that. And some of the aspects of the whole um, it can be just as violent and gory and visceral without showing the killing yeah. in certain instances. Those are kind of my understandings of what he kind of took from that when it comes to the whole inspiration and stuff. Also, did you guys ever see the, was it the Paul Van Zandt or what is it? Or the, the fucking Vince Vaughn remake of it? No, I never saw it. I never saw that. Oh, fuck. What's that director's name? Is it Gus something? It's the same guy that directed, uh, fuck, Goodwill Hunting. That guy. Anyway, yeah, with the, uh, yeah, Vince Vaughn remake of Psycho. Yeah, it's like scene for scene the same fucking movie. Like it, it does this weird thing of it's the exact same movie, but somehow just worse. <laughs> and I think it's because you're just sitting here watching it going, why wouldn't I just watch the fucking original then? If you're going to be this fucking spot on with it, why wouldn't I just watch it? Just the, yeah, that's true. Yeah, true. I get that. Although I will say that Bates Motel, the show um, that they built around that movie is very good. See, I think I own every episode of that. I haven't seen a damn one. It's really good. I know I own at least the first season. Now I'm curious how much of it I own. I own something with it. I don't remember, but I know at least the first season, maybe every episode. And I, yeah, I haven't watched any of it, but I heard it was really good. That is why I bought it. Yeah, it's great. I heard it was a fantastic show and I just never watched it. I've heard the same thing. Yeah, I know it's highly, I know it's critically acclaimed. I know that for sure. So yeah, yeah. like <laughs> Freddie, Freddie Highmore, Freddie Highmore is really great. He plays Norman, um, but Vera Farmiga is phenomenal in it playing the mom she's phenomenal so yeah it's really good yeah if we could only convince her to stop doing fucking conjuring movies that'd be great (laughs) (laughs) um uh is there any more of those you want to talk about or any fan picks for some of that stuff you want to talk about i just kind of went through them and i don't know i agree with some other ones i'm like eh, whatever but the one that i was surprised to see was the sale with Jennifer Lopez. Uh, I think that's the one that I talked yes. about. Yes, the Vincent D'Onofrio is Jennifer oh, yeah. Lopez movie. Because Vincent D'Onofrio is, that... is the serial killer in that movie. Oh, okay. The campaign, huh? My thing is with it, do you consider it a serial killer movie just because the character is one? He's not necessarily yeah. in the movie as one. That is a character trait of that character. But he's not necessarily serial killing around that movie. Huh. That's true. That's true. I mean, he does. Kill I know. People. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I, I do think it's a weird distinction. I mean, I I feel like that movie gets a lot of hate. <laughs> I actually I liked that movie. I think it's because Vincent D'Onofrio as the villain is perfection. He's such a good villain, and he's so great in that. And then you know Jennifer Lopez. You know she's fine because she's you know she she acts she's and she's fine in it. She's fine because she's fine. No, but like she does, she does fine in the role. But um, I mean, Vincent D'Onofrio 
is kind of the thing that really makes it like that creepy, good sci-fi thing. Um, and like, I just think that the, the visuals are really kind of stunning in it. Um, I, it gets a lot of hate. People hate that movie. I don't, but I'm just throwing that out I there. I think that's a movie that got a cult following. I think. Yeah, maybe. Nobody liked it at first. I think critics and fans, nobody liked it. And then I think it, it, I think people just look at it now differently because of their understanding of what it is. I think that that's yeah. one of those movies that kind of ends up being something like, and I know this is going to sound weird, like a demolition man. Mm. Okay. Well, I understand that on that level. Sure. For sure. Cause I haven't seen the sale, but that I understand what you're saying now. Yeah. Like demolition man, when it came out, it was like, whatever, you know, like you'd make fun of it. Now I go back and look at demolition man. And I was like, man, they were onto some shit, dude. Like they're, they're the whole satire aspects of society in that movie. I'm like, people just weren't getting it then. I mean, very much the best example of it, 100% is Starship Troopers. That movie was critically and commercially panned when it came out. And then like, now you go back and watch it and you're like, how much satire that movie is steeped in just went over everybody's heads back then. And now it's like considered satirical genius. Like when you go back and look at it and just nobody saw it, that aspect of it when it came out. And I think when it comes to the cell, I think a lot of it has to do with that weird love hate relationship that people have had with JLo for so fucking long. Yeah, it was. It That's why I didn't like, see it. It feels like outside of Selena, you either loved her or hated her. And if you loved her, yeah, you were a fan. But if you hated her, you gave her no chance whatsoever, even when she did good. And I feel like that was up until recently when you get something like a Hustlers and stuff like that, where you see her do some good acting and people are finally giving her that credit. I think that that also has to do with her uh, problems or people people's problems with cell or the cell is they didn't want to give her any credit. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying she's amazing in that movie. I think she just does a good job in that movie. Yeah, that's what I was saying, too. Mm -hmm. Because that movie is 100% fueled by the brilliance that is Vincent D'Onofrio. Wow. Now I need to now I feel like I need to see it. And yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I've definitely trippy. was guilty of that at the time, because like at that time, there were just so many like bad J-Lo movies that came out like Geely and Enough and Angel Eyes. And like, oh, you didn't like that Angel just, Eyes, Justin? Come on. Uh, uh, okay. Anyway. Oh, God. My <laughs> skin just crawled. But, um, God, I, I oh, God, I could. Jesus Christ. Um, but so like all that was coming out and the sale was kind of around that time too. So when that came out, I was like, no, that that was one that I skipped because I just figured I You're right. I did not give it a chance because she was in it. And I was like, man, and then the reviews weren't great. And I was like, uh, I'm not going to watch it. And it showed up several times in the chat for this from fans. And now after hearing you guys talk, I'm like, well, damn, maybe I missed something. So, yeah, I'll have to check that out. But, yeah, you're totally right. At the time, I wasn't giving her a chance. <laughs> I was not. I mean, Anaconda's all right. I'm just saying. Give J-Lo a yeah, chance. Yeah, I don't hate that one either. Anaconda all right. 
I like Anaconda. Yeah, I don't hate Anaconda. She might not choose Anaconda. the best movies, but she's not terrible in the movies she chooses, if that makes sense. Oh, I don't know about that. She's the ones I've seen. She's the, the ones I've seen. Have anyway. you seen Angel Eyes? <laughs> okay, to be fair, I have seen that one, yes. Okay. Have you seen Monster in Law? <laughs> 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 I don't think that she's terrible in it, though. Heather. That's just me. She is, the cent- she is the centerpiece of a terrible burrito in that movie. Like, <laughs> she is the ground beef <laughs> of that terrible burrito. <laughs> wow. I'm just saying. Oh, monster law. You don't get a movie that bad because the main character is doing some shit all right. I'm just throwing that out there. But all this talk about the cell, though, does make me really think about Vincent D'Onofrio. I think he's probably one of the most amazing underrated actors out there i agree and honestly the cell kind of like kind of solidified that to to be fair uh, well i think me. even just go look at men in black yeah what he, he did in men in black great. and it's stuff you don't notice when you were a kid watching it you go back and watch like that as an adult and somebody like looking at acting and stuff like that he does things that are amazing you're like how did somebody think about that that's what they needed to do He's so good at that. And then, and I know Justin knows this. I don't know if Heather ever watched it, but man, him as the kingpin, though. Ooh. Oh, God. I yes. never saw it, but I've heard he's amazing in it. Oh, he is downright like that is just one of the best portrayals of a villain I've ever seen. Because they do this thing where they, they want to make him sympathetic. And they do. But at the same time, his ability to go from like misunderstood bad guy with a heart of gold to brutal, uncontrollable bastard is amazing. Heartless, heartless monster and no with zero remorse. Yeah. When it was time to flip that switch, my goodness, man. Yeah, I agree with you, man. It is one of the best comic book villain portrayals. I don't know how it couldn't be. Definitely. Oh, you were 100% correct. His portrayal of Wilson Fisk is better than most villains you get in the MCU and the DCEU easily. Yeah. I mean, he is up there with anybody you consider a top tier villain in the MCU. He is 100% on their level, if not most of the time better. The only person that I think might edge him out completely is Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger. But it's close. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Boy, it's is it close. close. Fuck. But that's neither here nor there. We're getting away from serial killers. Uh, yeah. But I mean, oh, I feel bad. I'm going to make fun of this person. Somebody on your page, Jason, recommended the movie Taking Lives and more specifically said, you'll never see the twist coming or something like that. Uh-oh. I'm just going to tell you they're wrong on both accounts. It's not a good movie. The twist is incredibly easy to see coming. And also, it's just not worth ever seeing. I will go out on a limb. correct me if I'm wrong. That's Angelina Jolie, right? That's Angelina Jolie and... Yeah. Is it Ethan Ethan Hawke? Yeah, it was Ethan Hawke or Josh Hartnett. They all look the same to me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nope, they definitely don't, but okay. They do. They are one... (laughs) All I'm saying is, have you ever seen Ethan Hawke and Josh Hartnett in the same place? No. <laughs> Josh Hartnett. 
But he looks so different. He, he's just got this look to <laughs> Those him. are the same motherfucker. Don't I don't look know like what y'all are talking about. <laughs> like, Nobody I have will nothing ever against me that they are not nothing, the same human being. I have nothing <laughs> against Ethan Hawke, but Josh Hartnett is a way more attractive man, in my opinion. What are you talking about? They are mirror images of each other. <laughs> That's such a lie. They are not. <laughs> they're not at all like it's one of those things that maybe i can tell a difference if i'm looking at them like i have to be looking at one of them if i'm not i do not remember which one's which ever (laughs) that's messed up ever and ethan hawk is going to be in moon knight and i don't remember what he looks like you could show me a picture of josh josh hartnett right now and go yeah he's gonna be moon knight and i go yeah totally is I cannot tell the difference between those two at all. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you mean to tell me, like, if you saw Ethan Hawke from afar, you like, I think that's Ethan Hawke. And you'd be like, hey, Ethan, Ethan, let me ask you a question. And he'd turn around <laughs> and you go, oh, Josh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought, no, it my really bad. Is. I thought you it were really Ethan Hawke. <laughs> it could be Ethan Hawke, like, far away. And Justin, you could turn to me and just go, hey, I think that's Josh Hartnett. And I go, yeah, it totally is. I'm going to go talk to him. I go, hey, Josh, Josh Hartnett, what's up? And he go, oh, I'm Ethan Hawke. And I go, are you sure? No, sir. No, <laughs> sir. <laughs> no way. That's insane. All I'm saying. I'm not saying Ethan Hawke's a bad looking guy. He's not. But Josh Hartnett is so good looking. It's it's just the big difference. <laughs> Those motherfuckers are just the same guy. <laughs> I mean, oh, I'm boy. just saying, they both look like fucking white people to eat some white bread. That's all I'm saying. I can't tell the difference. They have to eat white bread? <laughs> did, they, did they grow up with Iron Kids bread? <laughs> Man, those motherfuckers still eat Iron Kids. They're like, <laughs> it's got the nutrition of wheat, but it tastes like white. <laughs> and Ethan Hawke is like decently older too like are you sure not, they're not the same because <laughs> i'm pretty sure they are not they the, share same. the same birthday because they're the same person <laughs> i'm just saying okay worst case scenario is if i'm wrong that's just because josh hartnett is the clone of ethan hawk that's why their birthdays are different that's all i'm saying all right this is sparking another facebook debate i'm gonna put up later but we'll go ahead they and continue with this same <laughs> All right, we'll oh, see. Was it, all right, was it was it Ethan Hawke in Pearl Harbor? Uh, no, <laughs> that was Josh Hartnett. The fucking lies! I'm telling you, fucking lies. <laughs> see, he's, he's got it issue. was Josh Hartnett and Ben Affleck. <laughs> see, yeah, no Ben. You know, my boy. That's ben the first like movie ben. I ever saw Josh Hartnett in, and that's what made me be like, "Yes, sir, this man." See, that's what's crazy because that's the first movie I saw Ethan Hawke in. <laughs> You're so ridiculous. No, we'll put this debate to an end. Don't worry. We'll sort it out. You say that. Josh Hartnett's going to comment in and go, yeah, I'm really mad that Sterling figured out my alternate persona, Ethan Hawke. It's like I was able to get double the roles because they thought I was two different people. All I'm saying is Ethan Hawke and Josh Hartnett are pretty much Garth Brooks and Chris Gaines. (laughs) That's just ridiculous. Get out of here. Tell me they're different people. They're obviously they are not. definitely different people. Because <laughs> it wasn't. I mean, how do you say that when Josh Hartnett was obviously in training day, 
even though it says Ethan Hawke. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh man, that's great. Wow, and then that was there was funny. that Ethan Hawke classic, the facility or the faculty. Yeah, the faculty. The the facility. <laughs> The faculty, yes, that gym from Ethan Hawke for sure, yeah, the, he, Ethan and I'm Hawk pretty and, sure Josh Hartnett is like a Oscar nominated director too, right? Of Boyhood, that was Josh Hartnett. Yeah. Mm, okay. I honestly don't know if you're making fun of me or not. <laughs> <laughs> like, I honestly don't know if you're just saying that, being like, "Oh yeah, Sterling," and is this? Are you honestly saying that Josh Hartnett was not in Boyhood? That would be correct. I don't know. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna have to see something on that. I don't and I I, I just I don't I don't think that's true. We'll see. <laughs> Man, how did those so. how how are you telling me those are two different people? You're sitting there honestly telling me they both don't look like the bread of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with the crust cut off. <laughs> They're just um, the human's equivalent to that. I'm just, all right. <laughs> I just, I don't know what you guys we'll are see. saying. Now, on a real note, are you really sure it's not Josh Hartnett in Taking Lies? Because <laughs> I was really sure it was. It's really not. It's really not. <laughs> I mean, all right, Justin. So that Taking Lives is a movie with Angelina Jolie and either Josh Hartnett or Ethan Hawke. One of those two. Okay, got it. The twins, the twinsies. Yeah. Got it. And Paul Dano. <laughs> Paul Dano's in it. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, Wait, but is he? That's, good, that's a pretty good cast. Yeah, yeah. He plays he plays the younger version. Oh, okay. Um, And, you know, you say that it's got a good cast and everything, Justin, but it's not a good movie. It's really not. It's, it's honestly, like for me, when I was watching that movie and the, in, the twist towards the end happens, all I'm thinking is, like... I didn't necessarily directly call the twist, but you feel the twist coming and and with it, when it does happen, you're not surprised. Do you get what I'm saying? Like you might not know the specific aspects of the twist, but when it happens, it's not like you go, oh, wow, that surprised me. Or even, uh, oh, it's just a, of course. Wow. So it's not even like one of those cheap ones where it's like, hey, this person that we barely showed and acted like he wasn't important, he is. It's not even like a cheap nah, one. It's nah. just a shoulder shrug. Yeah, it's just a, oh, of course. <laughs> okay. I mean, honestly, Taking Lives' big claim to fame was you get to see some naked Angelina Jolie. That was its big claim to fame. Oh. If she does a sexualization scene with either J-H or E-H. See, man, even their initials. Come on, guys. <laughs> come on. Don't tell me that they're not. Man, you guys have to damn mind. I think you they, guys they both have, are just playing tricks on me. They do both have that H. And Heather, your name has an H. So you should see them as twins. I mean, you're based right. on that logic. For all I know now, yeah, yeah, Heather, yeah. you're the triplet of them. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean... That is a very true story. Is Justin's name doesn't have an H? Nope. My initials don't have an H. Hmm. Just saying. Well, it looks like you gave away my secret. See, I knew it. Man, you were playing tricks on me. Josh Hartnett is obviously the one in Train Day. Fucking bullshit. 
You know who Ethan Hawke does look like, though? Josh the Hornet. guy from Sugar Ray. <laughs> Mark McGrath? Yes. No, Mark he McGrath. He looks more like Mark McGrath. Looks like Mark McGrath. Josh Hartnett. <laughs> Man, motherfucker, no. Out your damn mind. Mark McGrath looks like Mark McGrath. Ethan Hawke and Josh Hartnett are the the same person. Mm. Right, right, right. Mark McGrath. <laughs> anyway, any other killers you want to talk about? <laughs> no, I'm good. No, I'm good too. <laughs> I mean, I guess real quick, I mean, do you just want to each give your own personal reasons why you believe true crime is a popular source or a popular subject matter in pop culture? Do you guys want to talk about that? Because we did mention mm-hmm. that at the beginning. We just kind of went really long when you guys were obviously yeah, we trying did. to trick me. <laughs> I mean, I so, mean, it's. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I was just going to say, Heather. Yeah, go. I mean, it's it's hard to say why. I mean, but it, you're right, because it is something that. Like, it's so popular right now. And I don't know if it's maybe the the element of, like, psychologically having more of a means to try and understand them, or if it's just the appeal of, like, almost like you're you're involved in something that is so crazy, but you're not actually involved in it. Like, kind of like feeling like you're a little bit, like, closer to something dangerous or understanding something dangerous i don't know it's actually it's a good question and i don't know i i don't know why it's a popular thing other than maybe just even shows or movies that have come out about it maybe have piqued interest you know like if if they've seen enough of it they're just like oh like i want to watch more of this or i want to hear podcasts about this or things like that because it's just kind of how maybe serial killers are portrayed in cinema even you know what i mean no, that's fair. I mean, I do think it's funny because when I was growing up and I'm in high school and I'm reading the books I'm reading and stuff like that, uh, I got a lot of weird looks. A lot of people thought I was, you know, training to be a killer because I was reading about serial killers and stuff like that. And I do think I just think it's funny that I used to read these books and it, it was all true crime. It was like the uh, the A to Z guide to serial killers and um there's another book called Venom in the Blood about a serial killer couple that was true crime and stuff like that. Like I was reading those books and yeah, I used to get the side eye a lot. And I just think it's funny that like nowadays it's there's an entire TV channel, the ID channel, you know, about true crime. And there's, you know, what used to be court TV. But even then, like HLN goes into it. You know, Justin was talking about forensic files and Dateline and cold case files. Mm-hmm. And the infinite number of true crime podcasts out there. I think the only thing that rivals the number of movie podcasts out there is the number of true crime podcasts out there. I mean, and I listen to a few of them, you know, and so it's one of those things that I just think is so funny. And and I do wonder why sometimes, like, is it really that one of the things like we talked about with the satanic panic, is it because we're too overly obsessed with evil and the concept of evil that Hmm. we're in a constant search to understand it that as people are getting older or as times are changing and we are able to find out all the things in the world we're able to find out now like is that why that like honestly like with killers out there and the fucked up shit people say on the internet and and all this other stuff is it our society's way of just grasping at straws to understand this aspect of society that was just written off and you know, nobody wanted to understand for so long. 
I mean, or is it just because there is the information out there now? The the amount of information out there now is so unbelievably bigger than it was before that this is something that would have been bigger before if people could get it. Hmm. Yeah. Those are all great points. I mean, both of you made some great points. And I think it's a little bit of all of that because there definitely is this clear obsession with it. And I don't know, like even somebody like me, like I don't know, like I watch all that stuff and I just never get tired of it. And there is something about being close to if it whether it's evil or whether it's the fact that these people are killing people and it just feels like the worst thing you can do right like i mean sure i'm not going to get into a ranking debate here but you know when you think about ending a person's life there's just something about that against their will and all of that stuff there's just something about that like it's just it it's like one of those taboo kind of it's considered like one of the worst things that you can do is just kill mercilessly kill an, an innocent a per, another human being it's like one of the worst things and like um or to murder someone like that um and it, and it's just like i don't know i think that a part of it is kind of what we talked about like you said with the satanic panic like that desire to be closer to or try to figure out something or label something that you don't understand and maybe that is what fascinates people about things like you're you're drawn to things that seem kind of mysterious or that 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 things that you don't quite have the answer to now sometimes you, you there well there are extreme actions on both sides i feel like sometimes when it comes to something that you don't understand you may have a tendency to hate that thing or deject it or reject it whatever the case may be but then there are those things that people don't understand and and it fascinates them like how can a person like you think about somebody like Richard Ramirez how could he possibly be like this how could he go to these houses look at these people in the eye and do this to them and there's something about that mystery there's something about that that's fascinating and i think like and then and maybe it's also because of that element that the the element of realism to it, right? Like this actually happened. You know, this man actually did this. And that's probably why this is what like that's that documentary is one of the trending things on Netflix, despite its flaws, because there's just something about the fact that this was a real life Freddy Krueger. This was a real life Michael Myers. He was going from house to house just doing this to people. Or you think about something, someone like Jeffrey Dahmer or somebody like that. There's something fascinating about about the fact that these people actually existed. This isn't a story. This isn't some character that somebody made up. This this happened. And there's something scary, but kind of, I guess you could say intriguing about it, right? There's just something that draws you to that and you want to know more about it and you want to understand it. And maybe a lot of this is just an attempt to explain the unexplainable sometimes. You know, an attempt to try to figure out something 
about a phenomenon that maybe we'll never completely understand why people do these things or why people kill and stuff like that. But maybe it says something about us that we're just drawn so much to people who would do things that maybe we'll never do, or maybe something that we would never even consider doing, or maybe it's just the fact that they even have the audacity to do it. Something about it, man. We're just drawn to it like moths to the flames. I mean, definitely. And I think it's all of the aspects that you guys talked about. It's all of those things. It's curiosity. It's unable to explain it. It's the, the, the fact that it feels so taboo and dangerous and humans are just drawn to that. You know, we've got such, I guess, I don't want to say comfortable lives. Not everybody's life is comfortable, but our lives are just so routine. You know what I mean? Your life can be literally a routine of things and maybe something so far away from what you're doing, something like that, this person who's stalking people and killing people and these cops trying to catch him or or these husband and wife and the wife poisons the husband, whatever the killing is, I guess there's just something about that that just is also kind of adventurous or exciting in a way. I mean, does that make sense? I hope I'm making sense. Well, I get that, but I think it even goes a little bit further that, I mean, Throughout the history of humanity, we have kind of been obsessed with the morbid and the macabre. I mean, yeah, you look through mythology and lore, like the idea of monsters out there and stuff like that, that there is monsters out or there are monsters out there. And just the obsession we've had with the weird and the macabre and the 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 dark side of things, I mean. You look at things like back in the day with like freak shows and stuff like that. Just the fascination with, you know, a quote unquote freak. And it's kind of like those those things have evolved into something like this now where we're not searching for monsters. We're not, you know, out there looking for these mythological monsters anymore because over time and with technology and things like that, we've more or less realized that human beings are those monsters. And now instead of being obsessed with And while there are people that still are obsessed with vampires and werewolves and stuff like that, it's, you know, kind of just evolved into now being obsessed with people that are monsters and wanting to hear those stories and everything like that. It's like now a modern day version of mythology, but it's real. Huh. I get that. Yeah. I I definitely think some of that is there. And I think... Two, maybe like you said, it may be just that conversation we're not ready to admit to or have, but maybe there is just a part of us. I'm not saying we're all inherently killers, but but maybe there is just more of a sick side to us than we're willing to admit, whether it's psychological conditioning, upbringing or just something like maybe there is just that part of us that we're not really comfortable talking about that does exist. And maybe Mm -hmm. this is feeding that part of us, you know? Yeah. I mean, and there's just that, I feel like, you know, humans in general, that's always that sense of searching for self, right. Or searching for, I mean, I, I, I just wouldn't put it past it if there are people. And I know people who are kind of like, I deal with anger issues. I deal with these types of things. 
it, does this mean I'm going to end up like this person? And so they research it and they, they find out about these, these serial killers or these people who commit these crimes, sometimes maybe in a fear of like, would I turn out like this? Or like, if this person had a similar upbringing and backstory as me, does that mean I'm going to be like this? Or, you know what I mean? Like, there's just that fascination of kind of wanting to know, you know, could this turn out to be me or someone I know? Like, there's also, I think, that part of it, too, um, that it could be. Well, yeah, it's like that weird self-validation of, oh, that's what this person is and what they went through. I didn't go through that, so I'm not going to be a killer. Like, that weird affirmation of why you're not a serial killer could be a part of it, too. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm better. Look, I my, you know, as bad as things are, at least I'm not that guy. Yeah. You true. know. Yeah. But well, any other thoughts, guys? Nope. No. So on that note, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on uh the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com or Facebook at Cinema Slayers Podcast or Twitter and Instagram at cinema underscore slayers. Uh, give us a rating review, hopefully five stars, if not five stars. Uh, drop us a line somewhere and tell us what we can change to be better before you automatically seal our fate with the doomed less than five stars. Uh, or, rec- you know, or also just recommend us to friends and family or whoever else and, you know, get more people in touch with us, especially if you like it. You know, if you don't like it and you're still listening to it. Hey, thanks for still doing it anyway. So. Other than that, just remember, according to Justin, the Moon Knight who is starring Josh Hartnett or Ethan Hawke, whichever one it is, is a Best Picture winner. <laughs> you flustered me with the Josh Hartnett, Ethan Hawke stuff. Ethan Hartnett? Ooh. Josh Hawke? I just hear you saying the same person's name over and over again. You just said the same person's name four times. Pretty much. Weren't they both in that movie Stop Loss? It was the army movie. <laughs> I mean, sure. I know Channing Tatum Neither. was. <laughs> Neither of them were. Are you sure? <laughs> None of them were in that movie. <laughs> you're, you're, also, you're also the one that said Ethan Hawke was not in Pearl Harbor. So I have a hard time trusting you right now, Heather. Oh, my. I'm just saying. I watched all that show Pretty Dreadful, and you can't tell me that wasn't Ethan Hawke.